Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Brandon Archer Podcast. Appreciate you tuning in, and I believe this week is going to bless you. And my heart, my prayers, that it's going to fill you up with God, more of the Holy Spirit, more of His presence, more of His purpose, and His power in your life. I mean, I remember that old song, more love, more power. More of you in my life. Come on, sing it with me. More love, more power, more of you in my life. And I will worship you with all of my heart. And I will worship you with all of my strength. Because you, something like that, are my Lord. <laughs> Oh man, that's old school right there. Well, you just thank me later for that old school reference uh, to a worship song. And if you don't know what that song is, look it up. I remember bumping that one and singing it when I first got saved. And that's a good one. But anyways, this week we're going to be jumping into Acts 12. And it's going to be good. So buckle your seatbelts and get ready for a fantastic ride and voyage with the disciples in the book of Acts. Man, this stuff's good. Just just reading and studying their lives, it really does like almost bring you know, I want to say like a shame, but it's not, you know, it's it's not a I would this is what I should say. Not shame, okay, or guilt. But more of a godly sorrow, right? The spirit of God just kind of nudging you going, come on, you know. This this is like the radical version or example of Christianity, you know, the thing that um, set the world on fire, changed everything, were these men who were full of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes you can look at your life or even, you know, modern day version of Christianity in it, not to like, you know, walk around with some sort of weight, and I'm not trying to put that weight on anyone. But when you read it, you just kind of compare your life to it. And not in a in a way that's like competitive, but just in a way of saying, "Man, I, I want to be like them. I want to do more like them. I want to I want to live my life in such a way that um, is radical." You know, they weren't superstars. They weren't they're superstars now because they're in the the Bible. But um, back then, they weren't these you know people walking around with all this you know shine or bling, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they were just radical, humble, just passionate men and women who were in love with Jesus, on fire for God, and had a different perspective and mindset on the world. And so, Father, we just come to you right now in prayer, and we ask, God, that you would set us ablaze, that you would stir our hearts, Lord, that as we read through this, Lord, that it would that it would just kind of stir our spirit, our heart, just to a hunger that would develop on the inside of us to want you, to desire you, to have more and more of, of a passion for what you're passionate about, that our heart would break for what your heart breaks for, that our, that our desires and our thoughts would be in alignment with yours so that our life could, could leave an impact. It may not even matter in the moment we're living in, but God, when we're gone, there's gonna be an impact that's left for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. All right, let's go ahead and just jump right in to Acts 12, and we're gonna start. Now, at the time Herod Agrippa, the king of the Jews, arrested some who belonged to the church. So we see another example of persecution as the authorities... uh, are hearing about what's happening and how people, you know, and that what's weird is like, what's really the news that's going around, you know? <laughs> what's the news that's going around those days of, man, there's these people and they just, they, they're talking about Jesus and people are converting and people are getting healed and delivered and uh, these awesome things are happening. And, and, so, and, and like, that's the thing that the authorities hear. And then all of a sudden they want to like persecute, kill and hurt these people. It's like so bizarre. It's like, out of all the things that you could get upset about in any time or, you know, in, in history, I guess unless they were that religious or that dedicated and it was some kind of, you know, 
which it is bizarre because a lot of these people were just so corrupt in their authority and their position anyways. It was all just garb. It was all just an outer appearance. So we see that the king, uh, Herod, the king of, of the Jews, arrested some who belonged to the church and intended to harm them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. So there's right there, there's a, a martyr taken down because of a, a person in authority with so much hatred and anger and just here, you're a Christian? Well, then go meet your Lord, right? Go die then uh, and kill him. Had him murdered. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to have Peter arrested as well. This was during the days of unleavened bread. So you can see here what, what's one of the main reasons why authority corrupts. What's one of the number one reasons why people in authority uh, have corruption and, and an open door for the enemy or evil to come in and happen? Because they want to please people instead of pleasing God. Their, their true desire is not to have this relationship with this incredible, moral, holy, pure God. They don't even have him in their mindset or even in their life. But what they do have is this desire in this heart to please people. And when that's your goal or your desire is to be liked by people or to have this, you know, I don't know, this like everybody's got to think I'm great or cool or, or nice. That is a open door for the enemy to come in and then begin to use your desire for likes or people, views, whatever it is, right? Today's society, it's social media stuff. That people actually live in, whether they're happy or they're not happy, whether somebody likes their post or doesn't like their post, right? We live in a day now, like if you unfriend or don't follow somebody, then there's so much offense and hurt and pain there. And it's like, at the end of the day, you know, we're not here to please people. We're here to love them. We're here to serve them. But it's not about now your goal is to please them. Your goal is to please God. And because people's motives and their desires and their uh, the things can kind of take over, which become impure, right? They put their desires out in front before God. And so now they've ignored God. And now you're going to, oh, I'm going to make people who are godless, who have no heart for God, no desire for God. Now their desires and their wants are more important than actually the truth of who God is and what he wants. And so are we going to police people? Or are we going to please God. And that's the, I think that's one of the, the keys to walking in this, you know, fervor and passion and radical, uh, long-term, you know, relationship with the Lord. So when he saw it, please the Jews, he proceeded to have Peter arrested. So here's Peter, he gets arrested. And this was during the days of unleavened bread, the Passover week, when he had seized Peter, he put him in prison turning him over to the four squads of soldiers of uh over to four squads <laughs> I can't speak sorry turning him over to four squads of soldiers of four each to guard him in rotation throughout the night so he rests him puts him in jail and has four squads of soldiers rotating to make sure that they're <laughs> he's not escaping this is how like intense he's like, they got to go, right? Here's Peter, one of the greatest of all time. They have him arrested and put in jail. So here he is in prison. They're like, we're making sure this guy's not getting away. We got like one of the, one of the big guys, right? In Christianity. So planning after the Passover to bring him out before the people for execution. So he's not just arresting him no, he wants, he's going to, he's going to put on a show. He wants these guys. Oh, he likes that pl everyone plotting and happy because he killed uh, John, uh, James's brother, right? Or no, James, the brother of John, he had him killed. So now he's going, oh, here's a big one. We're going to kill Peter. We're going to do it in front of everybody. And I want the same feeling that I got from the first one, from the people being happy and pleased with me and thinking I'm awesome and great for capturing this guy. And isn't that just like religion? When you get around religious people and they're ready to like stone or make, you know, somebody falls or they catch somebody in a, in a sin or something happens. And the next thing you know, all the religious people get together and they, they can't wait for them to be strung up and talked about it. Let's make a video and let's, let's post all this negative stuff and let's just ream them and, 
and you know, and then everybody joins in, yeah. And the guy who who is at the top, you know, leading it all, is all like, yeah, I'm righteous and awesome, and look at this minister who I've exposed, right? And everybody's clapping, yeah, you did it, yeah. Throw your rocks and your stones at him, and <laughs> the human nature, right? It's just like it happens. It's like the old school uh, Frankenstein where they're going to the castle and all these people they got pitchforks and here's poor Frankenstein he's a monster you know obviously looks like one but at heart he's he's got this different um thing going on because he's got this human nature of kindness and gentleness and uh I think in the movie he runs into the little girl and he doesn't harm her and but the people want to turn him into a monster and the the way they treat him is is horrible uh, so Peter was kept in pre- prison, but fervent and persistent prayer for him was being made to God by the church. This is why prayer is so important, right? Fervent, persistent prayer, not just, oh, Lord, oh, man, you found out Peter's in jail, and they got the one Christian over there like, oh, man, man, that stinks, man. I need to pray for him. And then they never pray for him. Hey, they're in a group right there with everybody in the room, and they, one guy says, hey, Y'all pray for Peter, okay? See you later. I'm going to go home and have my dinner and then watch my uh, American Idol at home. <laughs> just like Christianity today, right? Like, hey, everybody. Oh, we just heard uh, John was put in prison because he stood up for his faith. Oh, really? Oh, man. Ah, yeah, We would everybody just say a prayer for John, okay? I'll see you later. But no, there was a what? He's in jail. Everybody stop what you're doing. Everybody get in a circle. We're going to stay here. We're going to intercede and pray and press in and ask God right now for mercy. Ask God. They all came together in agreement. It was like, hey, when you have your time, you go in your personal prayer time with the Lord and you pray. Because God forbid somebody ask a group of people to pray without one person going, hey, don't tell me it's time to pray. I pray when I want to pray. You know, people are weird sometimes. But here's this passionate, excited, you know, fervent, Christianity that says what and then goes after it. And so there's a persistent prayer being made for him to God. And so the very night before Herod was to bring him forward, excuse me, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries were in front of the door guarding the prison. (laughs) All right, let's just read over this again. This is good. The very night before Herod was to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He was bound with two chains and sentries were in front of the door guarding the prison. So this is like high insecurity. He's got two guards are basically sleeping in the middle of him. And then he's got guys at the front who are just out there guarding, right? And then all of a sudden, suddenly, here's that word, right, which is in the Bible a lot. It's an awesome word. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared beside him and a light shone in the cell. The angel struck Peter's side and awakened him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, prepare yourself a strap on your sandals to get ready for whatever may happen. And he did so. Then the angel told him, put on your robe and follow me. And Peter, and Peter went out following the angel. He did not realize that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So he's literally sleeping, gets kicked by an angel, right? This is literally before the, before the show, Touched by an Angel, they had an episode of Kicked by an Angel. <laughs> and it was Peter being kicked by an angel. And he and he's in this state of like being half awake and he's experiencing this incredible sudden deliverance by God through an through a supernatural being, an angel, and he's setting him free from being about to be put to death and executed in front of all the Jews. This is an incredible story of God's deliverance, God's being there for you and and watching over your life and being involved in your life and seeing all the details. And not only that, but could set Peter free with with high security, right? Just completely sets him free. And Peter's thinking, wow, is this a vision? Whoa, am I in a dream? This This is all happening. He's just, whoa, what is going on? 
And when they had passed the first guard and the second, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city of its own accord. It swung open for them on its own accord. It was like, it's like, a, <laughs> it's like all of a sudden the angel's like a Jedi, right? He's going through, the, the guards are, they're like invisible to the guards. All of a sudden the gate opens on its own because he's like, he's doing a Holy Ghost, you know, the force, <laughs> the gate swings open and they, leave they went out and went along on the on the street and at once the angel left him so as soon as his angel was done with his job he leaves and when peter came to his senses all right after just experiencing the supernatural deliverance how god just radically saved him from being executed and not only that but like supernaturally gets him out of jail with all this security, like incredible. When Peter came to his senses, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people who were expecting uh, to kill him. When he realized what had happened, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many believers were gathered together and were praying continually and had been praying all night. So this is the power of prayer, like coming together, right? And like interceding, going after it, okay? It's not just like a kumbaya, they're all just in a circle doing kumbaya. No, they're there contending and interceding and praying and saying, God's super, come on, God. You know, like when you get around people who know how to pray and then you get around people who are just religious praying, you know the difference. You feel it, you see it, you hear it, okay? And I'm not saying you have to scream and yell for God to hear you, but there's a passion that comes out. There is a faith that comes out of people who know how to pray. And not only that, but things happen. Things shift, things move. You get around people who are full of the spirit and they're praying, things will shift and change. When he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer recognizing Peter's voice in her joy she failed to open the gate but ran in and announced so Peter's there and she knows it's Peter and before she even opens the door she goes oh my god like inside she's so ecstatic and oh my god it's Peter she runs back and tells everybody who's praying you're basically you guys oh my god you're not going to believe this it's Peter he's literally standing in the front at the door he's out there and so she announces to everybody, then comes back and opens the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind, right? So here's the response. They said to her, you out of your, so here they are praying <laughs> and God does the miracle, but they don't believe the girl that's saying, no, Peter's out there. They kept saying, is it an angel? Are you sure? Is it, how could it, Peter's in prison. He's totally on lockdown. But meanwhile, Peter continued knocking and when they opened the door and saw him, they were completely amazed, completely amazed. Isn't it just like God? Okay, and I'm, this is, this is my God. This is the God I serve. This is the God I love and the God I will live my life for. This is the God that I serve. The one who completely amazes me. He completely amazes us in our lives. He's so awesome and so incredible and so good. There are times where you'll just be like, wow, God, you're so good. You're so faithful. You're so wonderful. You're so merciful. You're so kind. You're so gracious. You're so giving. You're so loving. Wow. I'm amazed at who you are. And then cue the song. Lord, I'm amazed by you. Lord, I'm amazed by you. And how you love me. That's another good one. I got, man, I got the songs tonight. That's an awesome song though. But they were completely amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be quiet and listen, he described how the Lord had led him out. So before, as they're freaking out, he's like, Shh, listen. And he just tells them the story. And he said, report these things to James and the brothers and the sisters. Then he left and went to another place. Here's, a uh, uh, crazy contrast too. So here's uh, John, James's brother, who is murdered by the sword. And 
here's Peter who's miraculously delivered. So what's the difference here? Was it that there were people praying? And I'm not going to you know, create a doctrine here and say, hey, this is what happened. I'm just putting it out there to kind of, because it is, it's, it's there, it's something to look at. You know, one disciple is murdered and martyred and another one is completely set free and delivered. And I don't know, you know, I don't think there's something to define this moment other than there's power in prayer, which first of all, I believe that's a huge piece of it. There was a prayer and contending and people were in unity seeking God's will. And I also believe that there was a supernatural purpose and plan for Peter to fulfill his destiny, that God wasn't done with him. And maybe God was done with John. I can't I always get a mix up, either James or John, who was murdered by the sword. And there was maybe that was his time. Maybe he was there to go as a martyr in that moment. And maybe Peter's wasn't yet. I just think it's interesting to think about those type of things. And sometimes you want to try to, well, yeah, it's this. And maybe it was the prayer. Maybe it was the prayer was the thing that spared Peter's life where maybe John didn't have those people praying. And, you know, that's not, you know, that kind of makes you think and wonder. But again, maybe it was just his time to go. And I think in the kingdom of God, I think a martyr, like here you think, oh man, he doesn't, you know, because we're so, we think life is so, you know, just, we, we, we try to grasp on and hold on to every moment. And to, I don't want to die. Oh, I need to live. I need to live forever. And you try to grasp on to more life, more life. I don't want to die. Because there's this, still this fear in us of like, what's next? You know, even people who are believers, you know, there might be people say, oh, well, I don't, you know, and I want to be in that place. But I know there's still that you know, kind of feeling of, I don't want to die yet. I want to live. But what if you were so radical and so love, in love with God that as a martyr, you knew this is the, this, this was the highest honor, right? Like I'm taking this, I'm dying. I'm laying down my life for what I believe for the gospel. And that that is celebrated in heaven, that it's actually a step up and there's an honor and it's an honorable thing to lay your life down here, which everybody wants, you know, to live the the longest life and have the most life they can and squeeze every moment out of this life and take medications and live healthy to try to grasp onto more life because they don't want to die. And there's some people who believe that they want to do that because they don't think there's an afterlife. They don't think there's eternity. They just, they're going to live their life to the fullest here because they don't believe there's anything after it. But I don't believe that. I believe that there is something after it because I'm a Christian and that how I live my life and and how I um, view God and view eternity should help me deal with death, should help me address the issue of, well, what if I die? What if I'm killed? What if I'm murdered? What if I die? Well, if that's the case, isn't that actually good news? For the Christian, it's it's fabulous. It's great news. You're You're leaving this earth and you're stepping over into an eternity with God, which is what we all believe is the greatest reward, heaven. So I think there should be a peace and a calm to our our heart about death. And there shouldn't be this. I think if we cling on to life here, it's because we're not done with the assignment. We're not done with the purpose that God's put on our life. We're not done fulfilling what God wants us to do on the earth. And that should be the thing of why we want to live. Not, you know, I want to stay alive so I can, you know, I remember being younger and thinking, I got to live because I want to see uh, what happens. Because you know, I remember uh, when they were releasing the, the Star Wars movies, um, the prequels, the you know, episode one, two, and three, and being young going, oh, I don't want to die because if I die, I'll miss out on what happens. <laughs> <laughs> which is so dumb. It's like, I, I got to see that movie. And that that's how people sometimes live their life, right? I, I don't want to die because I, I need to do this. I need that. And majority of us don't want to you know, die because of our family, because we have loved ones. And you know, we don't want to miss out and, and not be around those that we love and that love us. 
and that's the one of the strongest pulls. But ultimately, there it, there should be a a sense and a pull of eternity that there's a peace, there's a rest in God to knowing that, hey man, when I go, I'm going to meet him, I'm going to be with him, and all the cares and all the weight of the world and all the darkness in this world, you know, it's not going to be in heaven. It's just not all the pain and sorrow. Um, let's get back to this word. So he says, report these things to James and the brothers and sisters. Then he left and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. So there's, they're freaking out. What happened? And when Herod had searched for him and could not find him, he interrogated the guards and commanded that they be led away to execution. So all the guards that were there, the very thing that that Herod had planned for Peter is now happening to those who would try to stand in God's way, right? The, The ones who would try to stand in God's way and hold a man of God or who's who God loves or or try to put God's purpose and his will in a jail cell, his, his calling and who he is, and try to put that in and confine it and put their hands on it and control it. And God's like, uh-uh, I'm God. Nothing's impossible. And the very thing that they thought they were going to do to Peter ends up happening to them. Isn't that wild? That's crazy. And I know Herod gets it pretty pretty bad uh down the road here um i think if it's yeah it's the next actually the next verse here it goes into it so you can't touch god's anointed don't touch god's people he loves them you know some people are going to die for god and they're going to you know they're going to go out and it's going to be a martyr and it's it's for a purpose and then there's those that are going to be You know, God's got a purpose. He's got a plan and he's going to make sure that it's fulfilled in your life. He's watching over his word to perform it. He's a God who's faithful. He keeps his promises. He's actually a God who can supernaturally just get involved, right? And the people who are after out to get you and out to hurt you and out and wish harm on you. It's like, that's why it's important not to allow bitterness and those things to happen in our life towards people or jealousy or envy or contention, whatever it is all those things that happen in humanity, it's like here these people were wanting to murder God's you know, chosen, his children, and the very thing that they planned and thought they were gonna carry out gets totally suddenly thwarted. The guards are executed, and now we're gonna get into what happens to Herod. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea, Martima, and spent some time there. So Peter leaves and just gets away like oh my gosh i just almost died i'm gonna go you know who knows what he did in that time probably spent time with the lord but probably enjoyed some just you know chill time like okay i gotta get i just almost died and i'm gonna i'm gonna preach the gospel and i'm gonna be there but i'm also gonna have some time where it's just me and god and i'm gonna thank the lord that he saved me and now in verse 20 it says now herod agrippa was extremely angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And their delegates came to him in a united group. And after persuading Blastus, the king's chamberlain, to support their cause, they asked for peace because their country was fed by imports of grain and other goods from the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod dressed himself in his royal robe, sat on his throne, and began delivering a speech to the people. The assembled people kept shouting, it is, it is the voice of God and not of man. And at once an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and instead permitted himself to be worshipped. There it is. On an appointed day, Herod addressed, dressed himself in his royal robes. So he thinks he's God, right? Because he's on this place, he's sitting on this throne He's in he's ruling and reigning. He's got this idea. He's he he's really the one who's controlling power, right? He's he's the one who's in charge. And he began delivering a speech to the people. The assembled people kept shouting, It is the voice of God and not of man. So 
they're saying he's God and he's not a man. And at once an angel of the Lord, maybe that same angel that rescued Peter, right? The same angel was on assignment to take Herod out. And he strikes him down because he did not give God the glory and instead permitted himself to be worshiped. Here's another uh, leadership lesson, right? (laughs) When you're in a place of leadership and people start glorifying you and, and, and you start feeding off the praise, be careful because that's not a good place to be. Don't don't allow people to worship you and exalt you and think you're great and special. You know, you got to give the glory to God. Understand that God's in charge and he is all powerful. In in this next part it says he was eaten by worms and died 5 days later. So all of a sudden he has worms and literally dies from worms. And and they eat him alive from the inside out. So he's struck. He doesn't die right there on the spot, but he ends up having worms and they eat him from the inside. Isn't that crazy? But the word of the Lord, the good news about salvation through Christ continue to grow and spread increasing in effectiveness. So the word of God was spreading and it was increasing in effectiveness. It was actually it was having more of an effect. That's why it's important to not give up. That's why it's important. Don't give up when you preach and maybe, you know, it doesn't happen or, or you feel like things aren't happening or working. You got to stay consistent. You got to stay passionate and dedicated and faithful to the things of God. And I guarantee you, as you do, then it's like God's increase, God's passion. He gets behind you. He He's with you. Sometimes God's just looking for that when you're weak and you're down and you're tired and you're just like, oh, I'm going to give up. When you don't give up, when you hold on and you, and you press in even more, it's like God says, that's it. That's the one. And he just blows and he just comes behind you and he just does a supernatural thing uh, because it's like, God's a God who sees and he wants us. He, I, I really do believe God, you know, he, our, uh, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And it's like when we get to this place of being weak and worn down and broken and just, just, just oh man, we just want to give up, right? You just feel like enough's enough. I've had enough, you know, I, I, I just can't do it anymore. You just feel like that way and you just, but if you just get that little gleam of, but you know what? I'm not going to give up you know what, I'm going to keep going. And you find a little bit of strength to say yes to God in those moments. It's like all of a sudden, the floodgates open. The Holy Spirit's like, yes, right? He's like, he smells that sacrifice. He smells that yes to God in a moment of pain, in a moment of sorrow, an obedient heart in a place of, I don't want to obey, right? And you're just saying, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's kind of like the Garden of Gethsemane. And all of a sudden, the strength comes, a supernatural ability comes for you to continue to go forward and to press through. And in that time, all of a sudden, you're you're increasing in your effectiveness. What you're doing before, which didn't seem like it was working, didn't seem like things were going the right way. And all of a sudden, things start to shift. And it's like the wind of God gets behind you and begins to move on your behalf. Verse 25 says, Barnabas and Saul came back from Jerusalem when they had completed their mission, bringing with them John, who was also called Mark. And that's the end of 12. And we got a little bit of time here, so let's go ahead and start 13. And this is the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, who was, they they call him Saul here, but it's actually Paul. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets who spoke a new message of God to the people and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called uh, Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, Paul, for the work to which I have called them. So while they're fasting and praying, see, this is the thing about like the disciples in this era. Fasting and praying wasn't just 
you know, a fad. It wasn't like, hey, you know, somebody wrote a book and everybody's now like, oh, fasting and prayer, like we're going to pray. Oh, it's the beginning of the year. Let's pray and fast. You know, yeah, it's like the cool thing. No, it was a lifestyle. They weren't like waiting for January 1st to come around to do a 30-day fast. They were fasting and praying as a lifestyle. It was something they did uh, quite frequently. They weren't like, we're going to wait and fast on a certain... No, it was a part of their lifestyle. It was something that kept the that fire and their the coals in their heart burning for God. And there's a whole teaching on fasting um, that, that I... Actually, I'm going to do a podcast on it. But it's something that, you know, you can actually grow apart from. There's Christians who don't fast. There's Christians that that have probably never fasted. And it's unfortunate for them because they're missing out on such a tool and something that actually God commanded us. I believe that it's almost like a command because he said, you know, there's gonna come a time where my disciples fast. Not if they wanna fast, no, they will fast. And it's something we have to do in context to understanding the actual fight that we're in with the flesh. If you don't know how to say no to the flesh, then you're you're never gonna be able to walk in the intensity and the power of God the way that he's called you to if you don't have a fasted lifestyle. Fasting and prayer doesn't move God, right? We hear that, we've heard that before. It doesn't move God, it moves us. And it actually, this is what it does. It actually does move God. But it's not in the way that people try to say, like, you're not manipulating God through fasting and praying. What you're doing is you're dying to yourself and you're making room in your life for more of God because God wants to move. And the only thing that's standing in the way of the Holy Spirit isn't uh, God himself. What's standing in the way or, or even the devil is hard hearts and hard heads. It's people who have hardened hearts, bitter hearts. They're stubborn. Their flesh is in control. They have all this stuff, and those are the things that actually hinder God from moving. It's not God going up there going, I don't want to move. No, it's us not being surrendered and yielded for him to move through our life. And that's what he wants to do. But he can't move past our will and past our, you know, our hard head or our hard heart. So it's important for us to fast. And in the future, I will go deeper into that subject because I believe it, there's some good stuff there. Um, <clears throat> set apart for me after fasting prayer, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. So here's the Holy Spirit speaking because he's a person and he's the one on the earth doing the ministry. He's the one on the earth that's actually preaching the gospel and bringing and pointing people to Jesus because Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. And now the Spirit of God has been released on the earth to work through men and to and to for men to yield to him and for him to use them on the earth for his purpose, his calling, and what he wants them to do. And like it says right here, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. So the Holy Spirit not only wants to set them apart, but he knows them. He knows Barnabas. He knows Saul. And he's saying, I have called them. I have a purpose for them. I want you to set them apart for the work which I have called them to. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. So here's that laying, that application of laying on of hands in approval and dedication and sent them away on their first journey and also impartation. There's an impartation in laying on of hands, right? You're not, you're not giving somebody some kind of a superpower, but by the Holy Spirit, you're coming in agreement and the Holy Spirit can touch other men and equip and impart a gift, impart the power and the presence of God onto them through the laying on of hands. And uh, they laid their hands on them and sent them away on their first journey. So here they are, uh, Paul and Barnabas, about to go on their first journey together with the Holy Spirit. The adventure, the journey begins, and they're literally sent by the Holy... So then being sent out by the Holy Spirit... Okay, not sent out by some organization, some denomination, some, you know, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, government, cult, uh, whatever, right? No, they, they, didn't, they didn't have to go through some seminary, some organization over here, some school, okay, which I'm not knocking schools. I think there's great Holy Spirit, you know, uh, play institutions that are producing 
awesome people who want to be used by God and be you know sent to the ministry. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, is working through those things. Some of them, I believe he's not, but there are some that are. And when you want to be sent by God, you want to make sure it's the Holy Spirit who's sending you and not man. So they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when Barnabas and Saul arrived at Salamis, they began to preach the word of God, proclaiming the message of eternal salvation through faith in Christ. So they're preaching the gospel. They're there doing what, they, what they've been trained and raised up by God to do. And now they're on a journey to go do it around their region and travel and go and proclaim the message. They did it in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John Mark as their assistant. So John Mark's there as an assistant, and uh, he's helping them. And when they had traveled through the entire island of Cyprus, as far as Paphos, they found a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was closely associated with the proconsul of the province. So here's a guy who's a false prophet, a false, uh, he's a sorcerer, which is bizarre, right? He's, I believe this is referring to a man who is basically acting like he's spiritual and he has power and authority and knows how to deal and do and get things done through, uh, you know, the will of man and the power of man, but it's, it's carnal it's it's separate from god it's not god's power who is all powerful who's the real power but it's man in a in a weird false way trying to put himself in a position of having power and uh, ability and spirituality outside of god right it's like humanity's glory and and you see it in hollywood today you see it in in these uh people that have those little places on the side of the road and it's it's that spiritual mindset and they're open to all kinds of things, right? They have all these, um, all roads lead to the same God, that type of mindset. It's, it's not, it's not everyone has to come through the son of God type of preaching. It's a false preaching. And what's weird is his name's Bar Jesus, which I don't understand why it's Bar Jesus. Maybe he liked to hang out at the bar, right? This guy's... <laughs> He's a false Jewish false prophet and he's hanging out at the bar at night and then he's at in the day he's like acting like he's some kind of prophet. <laughs> oh, that might speak to some prophets today. I don't know. I don't know. Uh so who was closely associated with the prince so he's in, a, in a, associated with the people in authority, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent and sensible man. He called for Bar- Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God concerning eternal salvation through faith in Christ. But Elamas, the sorcerer, for that is how he named, his name is translated. So I don't, this is really starting to confuse me. But Elamas, the sorcerer, for that is how his name is translated, opposed them, trying to turn the proconsul away from accepting the faith. So here's a guy who's there actually in up because he's of a different spirit right so he he actually is being motivated by a demonic spirit because he doesn't want this pro council to hear the gospel because he might get saved and delivered and actually now change his point of view and the darkness in that land is going to shift because when there's people in authority who represent christ in light then that that's like a um a sign of authority over a region changing from dark to light. When you have people in authority that are evil, that's like having darkness over the land. That's why when you have people who are ungodly in position and power, you have to realize the source of what's coming out of them is not holy and pure. It's going to be corrupt. So you want people who are good character, good nature, that love God, that love God's purposes in authority because they bring uh, light into that space, into that area, and you'll see it show up in society. You'll sh- you'll see it in the fruit it produces in the land. But here's this false prophet sorcerer who's actually trying to oppose them and trying to get the proconsul away from them because he doesn't want them getting he doesn't want him getting saved. But Saul, this is Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit and led by him. I love that. Here's Paul. 
hey, it's not just Paul. This is Paul who's filled with the Holy Spirit and led by him. He looks steadily, steadily at Ilimas by the Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit is awesome. When you're yielded and you're, you're full of him, you ain't got no fear. You're going to look at that demon, that, that devil, that dark spirit. You're going, to look him, you're going to look him right in the eye with authority. And he says this, you, Ilimas, who are full of every kind of deceit and every kind of fraud, you son of the devil, enemy of everything that is right and good, you will never stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord. Now, watch. The hand of the Lord is on you and you will be blind, so blind that you will be unable to see the sun for a time. So here's Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh my gosh, like this is awesome. This is incredible. Like when's the last time you heard this in testimony church, right? When you're in church and all of a sudden, I got a testimony I want to share. I was in, I was about to go talk to uh, Joe Biden, preach the gospel to them. All of a sudden, Nancy Pelosi came out and tried to keep me from doing it. And I looked right. <laughs> sorry, sorry, shouldn't have said that. God forgive me. But it's that type of situation. Like, listen here, you're going to be blind because of you're full of every kind of wickedness and evil. And then the confirmation is that the guy goes blind. Immediately, a mist and darkness fell upon him. And he groped around seeking people to lead him by the hand. So this is happening in front of everyone. So here's this guy all like, no, like trying to stand up with all this pomp and all this whatever, like he's somebody. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's like, boom. And just totally humility or humiliates him, puts him in a place, right? And he's blind now, can't see, and he's groping around. The pro-council believed the message of salvation. So right in that moment, when you do that and then you preach the gospel, you better believe there's a fear and awe that's coming with it. There's a holiness to it. That's what's awesome. The message of the gospel, there, there is a supernatural backing to it. It's not just, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And then, hey, boom, look, he's real. He's alive. He moves. He's pure. He's, he's awesome. He does things that, are, um, that will astound and amaze you. You'll see that God is real. You don't have to have men just talk your head off and try to put a bunch of information in front of you and try to like convince you God's real. No, if you really want to know, God will show you and reveal who he is. And sometimes, even if you don't want to know, he's going to reveal and show up and show you how awesome he is. The pro, the pro council believed the message of salvation. And when he saw what had happened, being astonished at the teaching concerning the Lord, he gave his heart to the Lord. He, get, he got saved in that moment. Now, Paul and his companions. So what's interesting is it, he in this text, it, it talks about Saul, who was Paul. And it's like in this moment, it's almost like he goes from Saul to Paul. The, the man of God is now fully alive and in motion. And now we're not calling him Saul anymore. It's now Paul and his companions sailed from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem. And there's all this speculation about why, and maybe somebody, theologians know exactly why John Mark left. Maybe he he was uh, tired, you know, worn out. He just wanted to go home and sleep. <laughs> he wasn't ready for the journey. He wasn't as on fire. I don't know. But he left and went back. And now they went on from Perga and arrived at Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading of the law and the writings of the prophets, the officials of the synagogue sent word to them saying, Brothers, kinsmen, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers and made the people great and numerous during their stay as foreigners in the land of Egypt. And then with an uplifted arm, he led them out of there. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with their behavior in the wilderness and he had destroyed uh, seven nations in the land of Canaan. He gave their land to our ancestors as an inheritance. This took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until the prophet Samuel. Then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. Of him, he testified and said, I have found David, 
the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, conforming to my will and purposes, who will do all my will. Here, here's, here's God, or here's Paul describing David, but here's the key of David. David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, God's own heart, a man after God's heart, a man wanting to know God, conforming who he is and what he wants and in his life and his his being to God's will and purposes. You want to have a, a, a heart after God? God's then be willing to conform your heart and your plan to his will and purposes. For this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel a savior. So from David, what was prophesied in the Bible has now is now happening before you. Jesus, the savior has come through David in the person of Jesus, according to his promise. Before his coming, John the Baptist had preached a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course of ministry, he kept saying, "What are who do you think that I am? I am not he, the Christ, but be aware, one is coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, even as his slave. Brothers, sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation obtained through faith in Jesus Christ. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers who fail to recognize and understand both Jesus and the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled these very prophecies by condemning him. And though they found no cause or charge deserving death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had finished carrying out everything that was written in scripture, so he's literally telling them history, like summing up in a, in a sermon to the Jews, hey, this is who this is. He is the one that you've read about in, your, in all the prophecies point to. It's happened. And this is the reality. He was actually crucified as it was written. And what happened to him was actually you know, written about in the books that you study. And they had finished carrying out everything that was written in scripture about him. They took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, 40, he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we are bringing you the good news of the promise made to our fathers, that God has completely fulfilled this promise to our children by raising up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten and fathered you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, never again to return to the, to, to the grave, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David, those blessings and mercies that were promised to him. For this reason, he also says in another Psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see decay. For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was buried among his fathers and experienced decay in the grave. But he whom God raised to life did not experience decay in the grave. This is Jesus. So let it be clearly known to you, brothers, that through him forgiveness of sin is being proclaimed to you. And through him everyone who believes, who acknowledges that Jesus is Lord, and Savior and follows him is justified and declared free of guilt from all things for which from which you could not be justified and freed of guilt through the law of Moses. Therefore, be careful so that the things spoken of in the writings of the prophets does not come upon you. Look, you mockers, and marvel and perish and vanish away, for I am doing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, even if someone describes it to you, telling you about it in detail, which is what he's doing. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them on the next Sabbath, when the congregation of the synagogue had been dismissed. Many, so when they dismissed the synagogue, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who taking who talking to them were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So he's preaching. He, he This is to the Jews who didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior. But now they're, he's getting up. He's preaching by the Holy Spirit. And there are those who are being converted and, and uh, convinced, right? They're, he's preaching and the Holy Spirit is wooing them. <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and stop there.
And we'll pick up next week uh, uh, in verse 44. But this is the power of going over and preaching the gospel. And it's not just obviously for the Jews, but in this scripture, he's specifically speaking to the Jews in a synagogue. And you got to understand, they were so set in their ways. I mean, you're talking generations and generations of of their religious um, traditions and the way they did things. It was all very like lined up and there were little, you know, different beliefs here and different ways of here. But the main thing was pretty much the main thing, right? The the Torah and how they viewed the word of God and how they saw it. And Paul's going in there and basically taking it and summing it up for them and, and then bringing the realization of who Jesus was so that they could understand, oh, wow, this this is the Christ. And then that brings them to a place of actually having to make a decision. And, you know, God can do that in our life sometimes. He, he takes us through seasons of life where sometimes we can just get so stuck in a rut in the way that we see things. And you need sometimes that just simplifying it, going back and writing out, like get a, get a journal, get a piece of paper and write out your journey, write out your journey. And in your journey, there will be a through line of God's voice, of God's purpose. And sometimes you don't want to get so stuck in a rut of, religious, you know, of you're just being religious or whatever, you know, you're just, you're a Christian because you're a Christian and you're thankful because you believe that Jesus died for you. And you're like, thank you, Jesus. You're so awesome for me. But in your own heart, in your life, there's no longer uh, the fervor or the passion, or you don't feel like maybe you're doing what God's called you to do or what, or you're not where you want to be with God. And that's where I encourage you to go back and just write your story out and, you know, speak it out. You don't have to necessarily write it. If you want to write it, write it. But speak it out. Go over it and, and, and thank God and speak what he did and, and what he spoke to you and the dreams and the things he's put in your heart. Because as you do that, it will bring the Holy Spirit's the one that is attached to those things in your life. It's not just you alone. God's involved. So he comes into those moments and lives and breathes in those moments to refocus and realign you with what he wants to do in your life. Because a lot of times, you know, we go through the situations and life can have these turns. And the next thing you know, you feel displaced or you feel like, where am I? Where am I going? What am I doing? And instead of allowing the enemy to come in or discouragement, you got to get back with God and you got to remember and go back and think. And not, not going back to think of all the bad stuff, but go back and remember the good things, the the things that are awesome, the things that God has done and spoken to you and live from that place. Live out of that place and don't live out of this Sometimes the world just tries to crash in on you and and uh, it, it begins to dictate to you who you are or where you're going and you can't allow it to happen. You just, you have to stand firm and, and let God be the strongest voice and the strongest in your heart because your voice and the enemy's voice and sometimes other people that you love's voice can come in and try to influence you in a way that actually pushes you away from the purposes of God. So Father, we just thank you right now, Lord, that you're going you're gonna to bring all of our life, our, our purpose, our service, our calling, uh, what you have, your will for our life, your plan for our life. Lord, we're not going to just throw out your plan for our plan. We're not going to just let the world say, this is my plan for you, the world's plan for our life. No, we're going to let the Holy Spirit and God commission us, and, and we want your will and your plan. And you come in, you break in, just like you broke in and broke Peter out of prison. You break in and you break us out of the mold of of this place of feeling like we're stuck or we don't know where we're going. And you push us in the direction that you have for us because you're faithful to do it. You're a good God. You're a faithful God. You're a God who's right there with us in every moment. You're close. You never leave us or forsake us. You stick closer than a brother. You're a loving father. And I just pray that over the people. He loves you. He's for you. He's with you. Lean not on your own understanding, but cling to him. And he'll show you the path. He'll show you the step of faith. He'll show you that sometimes it's just a a, a simple step. It doesn't involve a, a crazy leap of faith. Sometimes it's just a simple step of moving forward. And then there's a time where it's, Come out, step on the water, trust me. Let's get out of the boat. Amen, in Jesus' name.
哈利路亚，拜拜。Baby.